This is Speaking of Faith, First Person. This online exclusive is part of Repossessing Virtue, an ongoing series in which we search for fresh ways to think and talk about the current economic crisis. I'm Kate Moose, Managing Producer of Speaking of Faith. Here I speak with Rachel Naomi Remen. She is the author of several books, including Kitchen Table Wisdom. Ask you, Kate. So uh, again, I uh, just this is a written thing. It's going to be online. It will be online. We'll talk. People will be able to contribute to it themselves. Um, we are also asking our listeners to contribute. Fabulous. And, and that will take two forms. We may just post what they write to us, and that that's the written part. Or we may uh, contact them and call them up and talk to them on the phone and record fabulous. it and put that up in audio. Fabulous, so this fabulous, piece with fabulous. you will be a little bit written, a little introduction that I will write, and then it will be you and me, our conversation in audio, and it will appear in our blog, and it will also be sent out as a podcast, and and so it'll have a couple of different forms. So you're going to edit it, though. Oh, it will be edited. Edit so we'll okay, we'll clean good. it up. You know, if if good. if we stumble too much, I'll make I'll make sure we both sound really brilliant and you know. Oh. <laughs> Let, let me just say something here. That okay. uh, the reason I'm 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 doing this uh, one is because of course your your program, but also one of the things that we're not hearing a whole lot of. We're hearing from a lot of experts, you know, a lot of pundits, a lot of people. You know, I, I've been reading and reading and reading all all, all different people, you know, very uh, learned people about the economy. I'm not hearing from regular people. Yeah. I'm not hearing what people are saying to each other, what they're thinking in the middle of the night, uh, how, they're, how they're thinking about this, what matters to the people. And the opportunity that I think you're offering here is to put the people's voice in front of the people. Mm-hmm. And for me, that's the deepest level of the learning about this. It's not about economic theory. It's not even. It's not about politics. Mm-hmm. It's about how how people work with money, what money means to them, and what it could mean to them. I I agree entirely. I think, and I, we have no we have no window into that. I mean, I I have not read a really good blog about the dialogue, the kind of dialogue that you appear to be initiating among ordinary people. Mm-hmm. And I think it's the ordinary people that are going to pull us out of this. Mm. (laughs) It's us that have to do something different. Yes. And unless we do, all the economic theory is not going to make any change whatsoever. The change is in the hands of ordinary people in their daily lives. And I don't think people feel empowered to make this change. They keep looking towards the pundits to throw the money into the proper pocket and we'll pull out, we'll rescue, it's all of this stuff. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that that's going to be an answer to this. I think actually the answer is with you and me. Mm. And I don't think people feel empowered in that way. Beginning, beginning there, um, Rachel, for you as one of those, one of those people one of those people living this out in their lives right. on the ground. How, how, do you consider this a moral crisis or a spiritual crisis and for, for, your, <laughs> for yourself, for, for our culture? 
well, Kate, I consider life a, a moral crisis. <laughs> life itself is a spiritual crisis, if you want to look at it that way. Mm. But the thing that interests me about this are the questions that are coming up in the minds of people that have never, people haven't thought about these things quite in this way. Uh, and the questions are very interesting questions. They're questions like this. What can be trusted? What can be trusted? What will sustain me? What do I really need in order to live? Right? These are questions that you ask yourself almost on a daily basis these days because of the economy. But what's so interesting to me is these are profoundly spiritual questions. Mm. These are the questions one asks to oneself just before you initiate a spiritual search. It's the beginning of a spiritual path. What can be trusted? What will sustain me? What do I really need in order to live? Mm -hmm. And if you follow these kinds of questions out, they lead us to a deeper, more passionate, better way of living and a much deeper connection to a larger reality. And I'm fascinated that people who have never asked themselves these questions are asking these questions now because their portfolio is down 40%, their, their friends have lost a job, the economy is, is, very, is, is worse than anything that they, have, that they can remember in their lifetime. Mm. And so these questions come up because of the economy. But these questions can permeate our lives and change our lives in a spiritual direction. Mm. You know, there's almost a fear among some people that, let's say the economy returned to normal tomorrow, there's almost an anxiety that if that happened, we would lose this opportunity, which is an opportunity of spirit and meaning. I agree with that. I think that the opportunity is a profoundly spiritual opportunity. It's an opportunity to live better, to live more consciously and according to your own genuine values, not the values of the culture, but your own genuine values. The culture tells me in order to live, I need to have 43 lipsticks and 10 face creams and no wrinkles, Mm. right? Mm. But those things cost a lot of money. And because I can't buy them now in a knee-jerk way, I find myself recognizing I really don't need them. I need something else. And I think that the economy is a pointing finger to um, a spiritual emptiness that has been among us for a long time and that we have an opportunity to fill it now Mm. because something is pointing to it. Mm. And that's very, very exciting stuff. Mm. And, you know, in just thinking about all of this, money, money itself, physical money, densest form of human energy. That's what money is, stored energy. A form of human energy. That's what it is, the densest form. I mean, there's thought, there's emotion, you know, there's our our physical bodies. Money is the densest form of community. It's something you can actually touch, but all it is is it, otherwise it's just paper. If, there's no, if the human energy isn't in it, 
if someone hasn't worked to get it or can use it to get something that somebody else has created. It's, it's the densest form of human force or power, if you want to think of it that way. Now, energy follows belief. The economy is, is based on people's beliefs. What are people willing to buy? What aren't they willing to buy? The economy is, is, is based, I believe, not on scientific laws as much, but on people's beliefs. You know, what, what is a good life? What is a good life? The answer to that drives an economy. Is it ease and comfort that's a good life? Or other such questions or thoughts or beliefs. I believe that I'm alone, and therefore I have to have something to to be with me, to, to take care of me. I, I'm, I'm not safe. My whole life is about getting safe. And so I, I spend money, or, or don't spend money, based on these kinds of beliefs. So another way of saying that is we got into this place because of a story. Mm. The story we tell ourselves about ourselves, about other people, about the world. And the opportunity here is to change the story. What is the story? Well, our story, I think, is that we're alone, that you have to count on yourself, you know, you have to count on yourself. Uh, no one will come and help you. Uh, the the more things you have, the more happy you will be. Mm. Um, that the the goal in life is is comfort, which is I, I think one of the most dangerous stories in the whole world, mm-hmm. by the way. Mm-hmm. But we are telling us we're telling ourselves a story about what's important and what isn't and who we are and what our power is and what is possible. And that story is much too small. We're larger than the story. And I think the reason that our president-elect um, was successful you know, in, in his campaign is that he reminded us of that, reminded us that we are, we are part of a much larger story than we have allowed ourselves to be a part of. And our money follows our story. How we spend money. If you want to find out who a person is, one of the ways you might find out is to walk around after them and look and see how they spend their money mm-hmm. and what they spend it on. And you, can, you will be able to determine their story about life, about themselves, um, about what's important to them, and these stories have been much too small. How so? Well, I think they're small in the sense that they don't really, they're not really congruent with the, tr- with the three questions that I started talking to you about. They're mm-hmm. not congruent with the question, what can be trusted? Mm-hmm. Uh, what will sustain me? And what do I really need in order to live? That to the degree that your story is true, these questions have to be answered in ways that are real. If your story is 
is based on what can really be trusted. If your story is based on what really sustains you, and if your story is based on what you really need in order to live in a full and passionate and meaningful way, then your story is big enough. And I think what Obama has done is remind us that our story has been much too small for a long time Mm -hmm. and that our choices have been based on fear rather than on our deepest yearning to be all that we know that we can be. That we have lost, our dreams are too small. Our dream is of having a large television set, for God's sake. Mm -hmm. But we are capable of much larger dreams. And what's more important, we need to dream than the larger dreams. There is something in us that yearns to be all that we can be. And I think the opportunity is in here, in the, in the way that this crisis has very naturally presented us with the very questions we need to ask ourselves in order to live better. Mm. Rachel, what, what are you doing now that is different, if, if I can probe? Are, is, are you faced by this? Um, oh, sure. Are you? I mean, I am, uh, I'm 70 years old. Mm. And, you know, people walk around me and say things like this. Um, well, you just sort of ride it out. <clears throat> you know, eventually it'll come back. The economy will come back. It always does. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's just a matter of time. And, you know, that's true uh, for people who are younger than I am. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> but by the time the economy comes back, I probably won't be here. <laughs> so... You know, these are these are major issues for people of my age. You know, um, it confronts us even more acutely mm-hmm. because we don't have the time for this thing to recover itself on, on a financial level. But, you know, what am I doing differently? Uh, I'm aware that the questions of what matters to me, what can, what can be trusted, are very, very much up for me much more so than, than usual. Usually I walk around unconscious of these things, mm. sort of live in a very routine way. Mm-hmm. But uh, I now find that every time I buy something, these questions are there with me. You know, what do I really need in order to live? What sustains me? You know, these, these questions of the foundation of my life are with me in the supermarket which is very different than it was two years ago. Maybe that's why we all feel a little more awake. Is that part of it? We've been, we've been shaked awake a little bit? I think we have been shaked awake, but we, it's also very uncomfortable to be awake. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we're uncomfortable and awake at the same time. But the interesting thing is people are discussing these questions with each other mm-hmm. much more. And in, in much more casual situations, um, people are talking about, you know, uh, uh, basically, you know, what do I need? What, what am I letting go of? Um, how am I going to, um, how am I going to meet with this opportunity? 
how am I going to meet with this this crisis even? Where where do you turn? And perhaps you you are turning to new sources of wisdom or leadership. Um, where where do you go? Um, obviously, I think perhaps your your cat meowing <laughs> pleasure on your lap plays a role. But where do you go um, to begin the answer? Begin the the answer to those questions these days. I don't think I can go anywhere. Um, I think I'm much more reflective about the the happenings of my daily life. I mean, something will happen, and I'll say to myself, gee, you know, this is something that's very important to me. Uh, other things, um, well, on the simplest possible level, I, I very recently... Um, uh, changed my closet. I have always dreamed, this is one of my secret dreams, that I would have a house with two large closets, and one would be my summer clothes and one would be my winter clothes, and at a certain time of the year I'd close the door of one and open the door of the other. It doesn't work that way for me. Mm. I have to pull out boxes of folded winter clothes and put away boxes of summer clothes. Mm. In this process of doing this, at this time, I found myself thinking, I have enough clothes for three people. <laughs> I wear maybe five things all winter long, five different sweaters or six. I have 35 sweaters. <laughs> and I, I have to take care of all these things. Now, I've done this year after year. I've never had the thought that, you know, my God, I have enough clothes here. for, And, and someone might need these. Mm-hmm. And I ended up taking half my clothes to a consignment store and what? donating them because I, I'm, I, I'm not wearing them. I'm just having them. And I have to take care of them, and it takes energy to take care of them. I have to store them and all of this stuff. I, I wouldn't have had that thought ordinarily. Hmm. Nor would I have given away, you know, half of these, half of these clothes which are perfectly beautiful, perfectly usable, and I don't wear them. Mm -hmm. What a great solution to not adding on two very large closets. Right. (laughs) Just think of all the time I've saved myself moving this stuff around every year. This only takes two days to do this every year. Um. What am I doing differently? I think the level of the dialogue has changed, by the way. That's the thing that I find most enlivening. Mm. I am talking to other people about these things, sometimes even strangers on airplanes, mm-hmm. and asking them questions, you know, well, you know, what do you really need? I mean, what, what has this meant for you? The same kind of questions that you're asking me, and discovering a lot more about people. I think people are going to be living a lot more consciously. But then the other piece is, of course, that we have been living based on fear for a very long time. And our economy, I think, is in this position because we've been living based on fear. When when we're based on fear, human energy becomes stagnant. We circle the wagon, 
we, the wagons, as it were, you know? Mm-hmm. And our money becomes stagnant. We, we do the same thing with our money. Uh, I was just thinking about um, my parents uh, just before you called, um, thinking about one of the stories in, in my family, which is you have to save for a rainy day. Mm. Good one. And my parents, one of whom was first generation, uh, one of whom was born in Russia, um, saved for a rainy day. And I remember um, talking to my mother on the telephone. Uh, at the time, she was about 84, and she had a heart condition. My father, she was living in Long Island. My father was hospitalized in a hospital in New York City, having had a heart attack. My mother doesn't did not drive, and it was 20 degrees out in New York City, and my mother, at 83 or 4, with her heart condition, was taking three buses to get from Long Island to um, the hospital in New York City to see my father every day, and then three buses home, mm. standing in the freezing cold with mm. her, her her angina, her her heart pain. Right? I say, Mom, take a cab. I'm a so no. <laughs> Take a cab. Mm. I said, why not? She says, well, you know, we have to save for a rainy day. I said, Mom, you're 83 years old. It's 20 degrees out. There are three buses between you and Dad. He's just had a heart attack. It's raining. <laughs> <laughs> but you see, the story says it's never raining. Right. It's never raining. And the story locks us into certain behaviors that are based on fear, and our stories need to get larger. Hmm. That this is just just fabulous. I I I am certain that we have a wonderful thing for our listeners, and and we will definitely let you know uh, when it will be on. But I think can closing... I give you one more quote? Oh, of course, absolutely. Um the spiritual quote that you asked for, I think, for, for this time, uh, you know, it's, it's what do we sail our boats by? Hmm. What's the star that, that guides our boat? Is it fear or is it something else? And there's a wonderful quote which goes like this. Uh, often you can see the light from your star most clearly after it has grown dark. And it's grown dark. Yes. And a lot of people have discovered they're not sailing their boat by anything. And they might notice that there is a star that they want to follow. Mm. And I think that's the opportunity. You've been listening to Rachel Naomi Remen. She is an expert on wellness and healing and the author of several books, including Kitchen Table Wisdom. This is Repossessing Virtue, speaking of faith's continuing exploration of the economic crisis. For more, subscribe to the SOF podcast and visit speakingoffaith.org.